Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gamesmanship, nothing personal word of the day. It's Thursday, January 26th, 2023. The word is gamesmanship, as in what's going on right now as we approach the AFC and NFC championship games this weekend. We're going to have our Super Bowl contenders by Sunday evening, and then two weeks of hype, a week of a flag football game, and then we get to the end of this football season. Three games left. That's it. 12 quarters. Let's start with the Chiefs. The Chiefs have a problem. Vegas has a problem. Bookies have a problem. The defensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals has a problem. Why? Because how's Patrick doing? When you've got the number one player on an opposing team, and you do not know whether that player is going to be good to go, you have a very hard time preparing for that game. When Chad Henney came in to replace Mahomes, who sprained his ankle last weekend and led the team on a 98-yard drive and then was replaced by Mahomes, and Mahomes continued to play the rest of the game, the Chiefs went on to win. They beat the Bills, They didn't beat the Bills. Who did they beat, Coca? I completely am losing my mind. The Bengals beat the Bills. The Chiefs beat the... Is this terrible why losing sucks? No one remembers the losers. You can win the Super Bowl. The Jaguars, what a great story they were. I already forgot about it. How depressing. You run a team, you win your division, you're in the playoffs, you got Doug Peterson, you're excited. You think it's great. You're playing tough and tight. You do a backdoor cover. And then a less than a week later, it's just forgotten. It's so good. So good. Anyway, so Mahomes gets hurt. Bad ankle, high ankle sprain. Those things don't get better in a week. No matter how much treatment, and believe me, he's getting treatment all day, all night. He's got the walking boot. He can say he doesn't. He can go to a press conference that's without it, but he's got it. You don't want any weight on that ankle when you don't need it to be. The amount of video that we are seeing from Chiefs practices, the the PR machine that is spitting out press conferences, video of the practices, it is all controlled by the team. 
every picture you're seeing is team approved. What are they doing? And why do they have Patrick Mahomes hopping around, jumping up and down stage, telling you, quote, I'm ready to go. Everything's good. Well, now let's go over to the other side of the table and let's talk about the Bengals and say, huh, we got to prepare for the number one quarterback in football. This guy can throw across his body. This guy can make throws that no one else in the league can make. He can scramble, but you got to make sure you put a spy in him because we can't just let him take off. On the other hand, you got to make sure not to leave your wide receivers or even the tight end coming out of the backfield, side field, front field, because he's going to find a way to get it to him. Well, but wait, what if he's hurt? Well, then we got to prepare totally differently. You got to prepare to squeeze him in on the pocket because he can't get out of the pocket. And therefore, we can take the defender who we used to spy him and put him back in coverage. Or we could blitz a little more than we normally would. We got too many game plans. What do you think the coordinator's saying to Coach Taylor of the Bengals? What do you want me to do? We've got to put our game plan into effect. We can't tell the players what to prepare for because we don't even know what we're preparing for. The brilliance of Andy Reid is on display. The gamesmanship. Andy Reid is no veteran. 8-6-69. Andy Reid is no rookie. He's a veteran of gamesmanship. He's not going to give the Bengals one clue. And why should he? As it is, Vegas is trying to figure out the line open first. Kansas City's favored, now Cincinnati's favored. Then you put a video up of Mahomes doing fine. Where's that line going to end? Basically, you should consider it a pick 'em game, try to figure out who's going to win. But what goes into the head of a front office and how do they coordinate this? How do you keep a secret? It's very simple, actually. When you know that you have a player, and let's just say it's a pitcher in baseball, and you're not at all sure whether or not that pitcher can go, you make sure that that pitcher's throwing bullpens when the stadium's closed because the media only has access to certain parts of the stadium at certain times. Then you make sure that when media is allowed in the clubhouse, that the player who you are getting medical attention because he's in the training room, you make sure when the media is in the clubhouse, if you want the other team to be preparing for this pitcher, you get him out of the training room, you sit him down in front of his locker, or you sit him down in the food room and you have someone in the clubhouse yell his name. Like, hey, bring me some chicken tendis. So then the media can put two and two together and say, wow, he's ready. He's eaten. He's not in the training room. You make sure that his locker looks that it has a dirty jersey. You make sure that you have a basket of laundry where there's a jock strap. Even if the pitcher has not thrown a pitch or broken a bead of sweat, if that is what you want to do, meanwhile, you've got a new plan for who you're going to start. Eventually, the other team finds out, and eventually the other team can make decisions, can change out its lineup, can go from lefty strong to righty strong, can change how they align the defense when certain people are up, et cetera. In-game changes are very, very possible in baseball. In Football, in-game changes are way harder than you think. When you put a game plan in place, generally that's the game plan that gets executed with the personnel who are available. And when an injury happens, someone replaces the injured player and continues on with the game plan. 
are there a few times like Andy Reid when Chad Henney came into the game last week where he was backed up on his own two and he did a, you know, he did a pass was his first play when maybe a run would have been in order there because you're so backed out. And what the commentators were saying is, hey, that makes sense. Let's get him some confidence. But when you're talking about a full game where you've got to play your backup quarterback or a full game where you've got to play your star quarterback who's only at 50%, you spend the entire week throwing darts at a board trying to keep everybody off scale, off the scent. What's the problem with that if you're the Kansas City Chiefs? The problem is that if you're not giving Chad enough first reps with the first team, then you're asking him to go into an AFC championship game against a Bengals defense and try to figure it out over the course of a game. Or you risk putting in Patrick Mahomes and doing what happened in the Jaguars game where you're putting in a completely different quarterback and you're hoping that that's enough to get you through against a team that you've lost to three times in a row, all by three points. The Bengals, in theory, have Mahomes' number, although winning three times by three points is not exactly domination. We're talking about a rematch of an AFC championship game where the Bengals beat the Chiefs 27-24 and everybody was in, I'd say, full health, as healthy as you can be at the end of a season. So I'm sitting around and I'm watching this press conference and I'm watching Patrick Mahomes come out and they asked him the question. And he said something too much. So the way you prepare someone for a press conference like this when you're hurt is you say to the player, they're going to ask you about your health. They're going to ask you about what you did, how your workouts have been, how your preparation is going to been. And you have to simply say, I feel good about where I am today and I will see you on Sunday. Well, did you do any dropbacks? Did you do any, were you in full pads? Did you do any sort of long passes down the field on the run? Listen, I don't want to get into exactly what we practice because I don't want anyone to know what plays we're looking at or what we're thinking about. I can only tell you that for me, for our team to win, I need to be in there and I'm not going to put myself in there if I don't think that I can lead our team to victory. Leave it at that. I think I should be in there to lead our team to victory. Instead, he said, I'll have to find ways to be able to push off and be able to still make the throws the right way. He said, I'll push it a little today and then the next day, and then the next day again, and see what I can do then. I don't want to re-aggravate the injury, obviously, but push it to see what I'll be able to do on Sunday. So here's, he almost got it, just a little much. And this is normal, of course, when you talk to the media and do press conferences, you have to know that less is more. Brevity is beauty. When you say that you don't want to re-aggravate the injury, for people who know what a high ankle sprain injury is, they understand that when you have an high ankle sprain injury, when you are on the ankle, every step you take sting is a chance to re-aggravate the injury. Anytime there's a chance there's other feet around, you have a chance to re-aggravate the injury. Anytime that you are not having the same gait that you normally have and taking place from scrimmage and even handing off to your left or right to your running back or wide receiver cutting across the middle, and you're not able to do it the way you normally do it, you have to learn different footwork. And when you're learning different footwork, you can step on your own ankle. It's like when you have an ankle sprain at second base, we don't practice that person doing double plays because we don't want him to change his footwork because if he does, he's in danger of hitting his foot on the base in an awkward way and then re-spraining the ankle. So when we have an ankle sprain, 
player who's an infielder, middle infielder, or even a corner infielder, but a middle infielder mostly, you're doing second base and infield practice without touching the base because touching a base in baseball with an ankle sprain, no good, can lead to very bad. And everything was going to be okay with Patrick until he kept talking more. And this is when I realized that it was all gamesmanship. He said, I felt better than I thought I was going to be after the game. Moving on during the game hurt, but after the game, I was resting it, icing it, and doing different stuff. And then the next morning, I felt a bit better. Anyone out there ever had an ankle injury? Soft tissue injury? Anyone ever wake up the next day feeling better? Unless you're up all night with treatment all night, which we've sent athletes home with their own treatment where they're, do, where they're getting treated while they're sleeping. We keep them in the training room till quite late at night till all the media is gone and like a pitcher's shoulder, let's say, when, when we know we're going to do a tortoise shot right in there before he starts his next game. We'll send him home with a stim machine. We'll send him home with, with a boot if it's his foot uh, to mobilize it. But you know what you're up against the next morning, which is why you're waiting by your phone or you're down in the clubhouse when that player is, is due to report because you want to get an idea of how bad the night was, not whether there was incremental improvement, how bad it was. So there's a lot going on here with Patrick Mahomes and the gamesmanship that Andy Reid's doing. And here's how we'll know, and we're going to know fast. When you're playing a game, an actual game, did you think against the Jaguars that he was hiding how his ankle was? Could you not see the way he was favoring his ankle? You understand when you give someone a pain shot, when you wrap it up in a certain way, you can play on that. You're definitely risking further injury because pain maskers do nothing but risk future injury because your pain is your body telling you, yo, stop doing that. Stop putting weight on me. I'm hurt. If your brain doesn't feel that pain, your brain's like, hey, we're good here. Keep going. We got this. And then all of a sudden you leave the game, pain shot wears off and you're like, holy crikeys. It's the size of a football. Who stuck that football in my ankle? So the way I see this happening is that after the first series, this is more of an in-game bet, live betting. You got to see what you're getting with Patrick Mahomes. For me, the value here is on the Bengals. We'll make our pick tomorrow. It's not just that the Bengals have beaten him three times in a row. That's less than relevant. It's not just that the Bengals are not the better team, but playing better right now. I'm not sure that's relevant. It's not that it's in Kansas City. It, to me, it's all about Patrick Mahomes. And I'm going to know right after I watch him play, but my prediction tells me that he is not nearly as feeling well as he is saying he is but we will certainly wait to see on that. That's not the only championship game that's in the news. There's two of them, so they're both in the news, and both of them for reasons that would make, make Roger Goodell cringe. Coca? You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get in there at my Twitter at David P. Samson. That music comes when you ask me a question that we put in the show. It's from the movie Half-Baked, which is such a good movie. I did not watch it yesterday. I haven't watched it in, I don't know how long, but I'm due for a watching. Maybe because there's no Saturday games. <gasps> yes, Saturday could be my 68th, 69th, let's watch Half-Baked Day. I don't think I've watched it in the new year. 
And there's not a year that goes by that I won't watch. Character named Samson. Ask him questions. David, please discuss the Niners' decision to play Charles Amenahu this weekend. Would you have made the same decision? Well, I appreciate you asking. Let me give you the backstory. Charles Amenahu is a defensive lineman for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, he had a two games ago. I think he had two sacks. Last game, he didn't play as well. Uh, but he is part of their, he's a rotational player is what we would call him in basketball in the NBA. He's in the eight-man rotation. In Major League Baseball, we would call him maybe a utility player, a sometime starter. He was arrested on misdemeanor domestic violence. And this just happened two days ago or three days ago. When a player gets arrested for domestic violence, I thought we had come to the point where that's it. You're arrested. Let me look at your girlfriend, your wife. Not sexual. If it's sexual assault, that's something. But domestic violence, that's something that you're doing at home. His girlfriend, the cops show up. They arrest him. Girlfriend, no visible bruises. Said she was hurt, but no visible bruises. They book him. He's down in prison. He gets out on bail. And the San Francisco 49ers are supposed to have a comment. And the comment is what we all say when one of our players gets arrested. We are going to let the legal process play out. Sometimes they say, well, let the legal process take care of itself. We're going to let the legal situation be resolved. It is a combination of those concepts. Every statement by every team you'll ever see with an arrested player will have that in the statement. For 28 teams in the NFL today, I'm good with that statement. I'm certainly not good with the action. When's it going to be enough? We'll get to that in a minute. We always get to that on this show because it's every day there's a new player. In any case, for 28 teams who their season's over, there is no reason in the world to do anything other than we're aware of the situation, we will let the legal situation play itself out, and we'll have no further comment until then. Whew. On to the next. Well, Mr. GM, we got to figure out a roster for next year. Plenty of time. Let's see what goes on here over the next couple of weeks. We're good. There's still four teams remaining in action. This is an active player who has a game on Sunday. The San Francisco 49ers said that he will remain with the team and continue preparing to play the NFC Championship game. Kyle Shanahan went on to say, we feel very good letting the legal process take care of itself. A nod to Hamilton and our founding fathers. That's outstanding. I'm so glad that Kyle Shanahan feels good about letting the legal process play out. I can't say that all of our citizens feel good about letting the legal process play out. But in this case, we feel good about letting the legal process play out. We don't feel we should kick him off our team at this time. <sighs> okay. Does that mean because at this time you're still one of four remaining teams playing for a spot in the Super Bowl? Is that the time you're talking about? Or are you talking about at this time because you've done your homework and you've called the NFL and they've already done their investigation and gotten something done in two days that most departments of investigation within the major sports take weeks, if not months, to figure out. You've spoken to the player, you've spoken to the girlfriend, all's well. 
How many times have we heard that? Oh, that got totally out of hand. She hit me first. I hit her first. I don't know what happened. We're just having an argument. We were trying to figure out ticket allocation for the game. It's very stressful. Well, why were the police involved? Yeah, she called the police. I don't know. I mean, do you guys ever um, argue with your significant other and not call the police? Does anyone ever do that? I've seen it both ways. Never been involved with the police being called. But I've seen people fight and then the police get called. I've seen people fight and no police are called. Why do you call the police if you are in a fight with your significant other? What is the reason? Just out of curiosity, can you come up with a top five reasons why the police would be called in a domestic violence situation? Oh, let me think about what would be number one. Top 10 answers on the board. 100 people surveyed who are in a fight with their significant other. Why are the police called? I was scared for my life. Ding. Number one on the board. Do you want to play or do you want to pass? We'll play. All right. Why else do the police get called when there's a fight, when there's a domestic situation playing out? Because my child may be in danger. Bing. Number two. Anyone else have a good answer? Oh, I got a good answer. Because I was scared. Well, was your life in danger? I didn't know for sure, but I was scared because my significant other was on drugs. My significant other was tripping. That's on the board. What about people who are having a fight over whether or not to have Italian food or whether or not they want to see the Banshees of Sharon or the Fablements? They're the Bickersons. They're bickering back and forth, can't figure it out. Their kids are being a pain in the neck. They have no kids. They're talking about kids. Don't bother me. We got to get tickets together for this game. Don't bother me. I'm learning my playbook. Get out of my room. You get out of my room. You didn't take the garbage out. This is ridiculous. One week of the year, can't you take the garbage out? What about dinner? What are we having for dinner? Baby, you think I'm going to take care of dinner? I got a game to play. There's a thousand ways you can bicker and the police wouldn't exactly be called. Do we agree on that? Well, if we agree on that, then something obviously happened here that's a little more out of the ordinary than, hey, I don't want to take the garbage out. And if you run a team, don't you have a responsibility to the women, to your fans, your sponsors, to some sort of moral authority to finally say, you know, if police are being called, that's good enough for me. No, we did our investigation. We looked into what happened with the men who we concluded the best way to handle this is to let the legal process play out before making further decisions. At least until after we've been eliminated. Very, very upsetting. If you're a Niners fan, very upsetting if you're a football fan, but very expected. If you're a sports fan, winning matters. He's got, he gives them a better chance. That's all. My view is that if he were a practice squad player, he would have been asked not to come back. If he's someone who was not part of the defensive scheme, he would have said, hey, we don't want the distraction. We're going to sit this one out. If we can get resolution by the Super Bowl and we beat the, the Eagles this weekend, we'll reinstate you. But for now, we're putting you on leave. The whole purpose of administrative leave is to get a player out of your clubhouse off your roster while the legal process plays out, while more fact-finding happens. Because clearly, if there's police involvement, and if you have to do the following, it's a pretty simple rule of thumb in my mind. 
Move to the left. Look straight ahead. To the right. When you got to do those things, something happened. So you ask me what I would do? It's like exactly what I would do. I would not have made this same decision. I would not have had my coach say what Kyle Shanahan said. And believe me, he didn't say that on his own accord. These were statements. When you've got a player that gets arrested, who gets arrested, excuse me? You've got your PR department, your president, your owner are all in a room with your coach. You are going through exactly what is going to be said by the organization and who's going to say it. This is not just, hey, whatever's at the top of your head, whatever you feel like saying, that's what we want you to say. No. Fully rehearsed, fully planned, fully vetted by lawyers, fully vetted by the league, and then given to all of you. I would have made a much different decision. But thanks for asking. All right, when we come back, we are going to review the new Nicolas Cage movie and talk about something that happened with one of its co-stars that will um, surprise you, is what I would say. So make sure you come back after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It is Thursday. January 26th, thank you for rating, reviewing, doing all the things that you're supposed to do to make nothing personal bigger than it is, bigger than it was yesterday, bigger tomorrow, because who knows what the future is. But meanwhile, episode 741 of the regular episodes, we're over 850 in total episodes since Coke and I started this crazy journey. And this whole journey is thanks to you. So keep it going and tell your friends about it. We're here every day. Why wouldn't we be? Nicholas Cage is on a list of people, and I've given you this list before, where I'm going to watch his movies. When he's in a movie and it's streaming, I'm watching. When you have been in Valley Girl and Racing with the Moon and Birdie and Leaving Las Vegas and Honeymoon in Vegas and Raising Arizona, pretty much you get the benefit of every doubt. 
didn't even talk about national treasure face off. I mean, I'm not even looking. This is off the top of my head. I'm not looking at IMDb. I have no prompter. I've known nothing. But when you've had the career Nicholas Cage has had, and I loved him from Valley Girl on. That's the first time I saw him. I don't remember seeing him in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but in Valley Girl, that was to me, that was like a movie of my childhood. Deborah Foreman and Nicholas Cage. <clears throat> God, did I love Deborah Foreman. But in any case, I was a, growing up in New York City when Valley Girl came out. I was a kid, maybe, I don't know, 10, 10 or 11 or 12 years old or 13. I don't remember what year it was, 79, maybe Valley Girl Coca. So I was just beginning to sort of figure out where things are and what's going on and what feels the way it's supposed to feel, when it's supposed to feel it, and what it looks like when you're looking at a movie, like, could this be real? Could it not be real? And I was far from the valley. And when people are saying, like, totally, man, to me, it just sounded amazing if it came with Deborah Foreman. And how cool would it be to be Nicolas Cage where you can have your hair dyed and you can wear punk clothes on Hollywood Boulevard as opposed to collared shirts at Park Avenue Synagogue? That's why I loved Valley Girl. Plus, I got to learn the song I Mel With You from Modern English. Anyway, Nicolas Cage is getting my attention. He has a new movie called The Old Way. I don't want to say that Nicolas Cage has become a sort of shell of himself, or I don't want to say that he's become a cartoon character. We just reviewed his movie, The Unbearable Weightness of Being the Unbearable Something of Being Nicolas Cage, and I told you it was great. There have been some stinkers out there. I liked Pig, actually. I'm not sure many people did. But it's as though... He's got money problems and money problems. When you are an actor manifest themselves by taking every possible role where they'll give you any possible part. He plays a father of a daughter whose mother got killed and he wants to exact revenge in the old West. And that means, excuse me, if you're not watching on YouTube, you have no idea what just happened but my brain and heart just stopped for one second because I had the sneezles and weasels. Thank you, Coca. That's weird to hear it, right? Gesundheit. Thank you. All right, let's take a break here, Coca. Have we taken our break? Two, four, six, nine. Ah, the old way. He's got his cowboy hat on. He's got his six-shooter. He's a bad MF-er. He's got... Samuel Jackson's wallet in his pocket. This gruffy, angry guy with a fake mustache. And then it's the old cut to 20 years later where he settled down with a woman. He has a daughter. Who, he's a grumpy old man who owns a corner store in a town with no street lights, And everyone gets the risk of getting shot because it's the old West. Wouldn't you know it that there is a somebody who wants to take revenge on the man who he used to be and takes revenge on him by doing something bad to his wife. So he then has to go kill the person who did something bad to his wife. And there you go. Except he has a daughter. The worst part of any movie I've ever seen, and this is not hyperbole, is when the character of Nicolas Cage decided when he was going to take revenge on the people who did something to hurt his family, his first instinct as to what to do, the first step of his process, watch the movie and you'll see, 
the movie's worth it for that scene alone. What is the first thing that he would think to do when he needs to take revenge on the killing of someone in his family? It will knock your socks off. So he goes out and part of what he has to do is figure out whether or not he's going to do it alone. Will he be with his daughter? Will he not be with the daughter? And his daughter's playing by Ryan Kira Armstrong, who I had never heard of at all. I had not seen her in anything. She's a little girl. I figured that she was a a 10-year-old girl who was cast, and I kept picturing her two ways. One, acting with Nicolas Cage, thinking this is the coolest thing ever, or being the little girl from Notting Hill, from Notting Hill who gets interviewed by Hugh Grant, who has worked already at the age of 10 with Leonardo DiCaprio and hobnobs with all of the big actors. She's been around. She's Malchus with Spielberg and Scorsese. So I didn't know this Ryan Keir Armstrong, but her performance in this movie is more than adequate. It's pretty amazing, actually, for a little girl. I'm not going to go all the way back to Anna Paquin in the piano, but I'm certainly going to tell you that this actress, this little girl actress, she's got a shot. So I'm watching the rest of The Old Way, and I know I'm going to review it for you today, and here's my review. There's certain parts of the movie I want you to watch. That's it. The overall movie is a 5 out of 10. I was on my phone for a good part of the movie. I did get through it in three sittings. Not bad. It's about a 90-minute movie. It should take one sitting. But it took three sittings, several text messages, a few calls, a few trips to the bathroom, and two bowls of Special K, and an entire box of good and plenty. Not a great sign. So I'm thinking that's it. I'll review the movie. That's the end of it. Until I got word of something else that happened yesterday with Ryan Kira Armstrong, who is the little girl, Nicolas Cage's daughter. She was nominated for a Razzie as a Best Actress. Razzies, if you've never heard of them, are the anti-Oscars. You can get nominated for an Oscar. That's cool. Getting nominated for a Razzie means you suck. It's meant to point out the worst performances of the year on screen. They've got worst movies. They've got worst actors instead of best actors, except for best, except for best movie. You then have worst movie. So just it's the antonym of the Oscars. So the Razzies came out, and I always look at those nominations. Some actors and actresses embrace their razziness, some run from it. I always thought it was great to embrace failure because then it makes people appreciate success a whole lot more. Amazing, right? If you're a Razzie winner and then you win an Academy Award, have some confidence in yourself. Talk about comeback. That's like being a four-string quarterback and then winning the Super Bowl or being Mr. Irrelevant. That's the Razzie of the draft. And then somehow, I mean, it's not going to happen. How could it happen? Where someone who's Mr. Relevant could take his team to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. Forget it. I mean, that's the stuff that movies are made of. So the Razzie list comes out, best actress comes out, worst actress, and there's her name. And I just watched The Old Way. But Ryan Kira Armstrong's name was associated with a movie called Firestarter, which I've never seen, had actually never heard of. So I looked at her IMDb and I said, wow, you know, she's been in a couple movies. Good for her. Like this is the beginning of a career. Didn't think another thing of it. And this is where I wish that I lied to my audience. I wish that I weren't so open with you, although it's part of my charm and it's part of what you love about Nothing Personal. I saw her name 
as a 12-year-old actress on the Razzie's Worst Actress list, and I didn't bat an eyelash. Not one. All of a sudden, there's a statement from the owner of the Razzie's, which says, sometimes you do things without thinking. Then you get called out for it, and then you get it. The recent valid criticism of the choice of 11-year-old Ryan Kira Armstrong as a nominee for one of our awards brought our attention to how insensitive we've been in this instance. As a result, we have removed Armstrong's name from the final ballot that our members will cast. We also believe a public apology is owed Ms. Armstrong. I'm not sure how many 10-year-olds are called Ms. Armstrong. And wish to say, well, you have to be that last name of Armstrong, of course, but, and wish to say, we regret any hurt she experienced as a result of our choices. Having learned from this lesson, we would also like to announce that from this point forward, we have a new rule in place that precludes any performer or filmmaker under 18 from being considered for our awards. I read that entire statement, a well-worded statement, and I internalized it. I said to myself, wow, I miss that. I am such into Hollywood and into award season and into top five lists and into top 10 best restaurants, top 10 worst restaurants. Here's the eight restaurants that got taken over by rodents. Here's the top 10 places to go when you've got two hours in this city. Our world with Google has become, we demand it. Half the time on Lebitard, they want to do for me, get me your top five list of the types of toilet paper you use and how much of a roll you use, depending on what you're doing, right? There can be lists for anything. I'm so insensitive to it that when I saw her as nominated for Razzie, my first thought was, wow, Firestarter must have sucked. Not, we should really be protecting these children. And I feel so badly about it. Here we go. Not rehearsed, but here we go. Ryan, Ms. Armstrong, my name is David Sampson, the host of Nothing Personal. I would like to formally apologize to you for not having immediately thought how inappropriate it would be for a child to be nominated for a Razzie Award. Whereas my instinct was that you'd be happy to be in a conversation at all with the other nominees in your category, or that you are doing movies that could even be considered for both Razzie's and Academy Awards, that that would make your agents and parents happy. Instead, I forgot to take into account what it's like to be a developing young woman approaching high school, middle school, and having people make fun of you for the choices you made in your career. Congratulations on the old way and continued good luck in your career. By the way, did you get to meet Zach? I'm not trying to be flippant here. I know we have to protect children, but isn't that what parents are for? Isn't this part of the participation trophy situation? Can 12 year olds be nominated for Academy Awards? You bet your bippy they can. If you're subject to win an Academy Award, why can't that mean you're subject to not win an Academy Award? Do we have to give a different review of a movie because it's a kid actor? Why can't we say the kid actor was terrible or the kid actor was amazing? Most kid actors are amazing because otherwise they wouldn't be kid actors. In the end, introducing 
When you get an and introducing, that means that person's damn good. The movie might stink, but that kid they found doing a casting call of thousands across different cities and countries. Don't you look at the screen sometimes and say, my God, I can't get my child to eat his damn Brussels sprouts. How did this kid memorize all these lines? Okay. I'm done with the NBA. Um, I, I told Coca this last night. It's a joke. I'm watching the Sixers-Nets game for no reason because I'm interested. In, not a, There is no reason. We had a pick of a day of Sixers minus six over the Nets. Ben Simmons was playing his first game back in Philly, I think, as a member of the Nets. Is that right? Maybe not his first game, but there's a lot of tension in the game. You've got Seth Curry, who's on the Nets, whose father-in-law is the coach of the Sixers, Doc Rivers. I love that sort of family thing. It's always fun when there's family gossip. And after the game, they go out to dinner when Seth Curry just shoved it up your keister when he couldn't miss a shot. And then his father-in-law is calling timeouts as they're blowing an 18-point lead because they can't hit a shot and the Nets can't miss. The Sixers end up winning by four. Joel Embiid is running out the clock and decides, I'll shoot a half-court shot. Once the buzzer goes off, the half-court shot goes in and they should have won by seven. They should have won by 12. They won by four. We lose. We're 13 and 14. Whatever. Get me back to football. Celtics minus eight over the Knicks. <laughs> All right, here's my theory. I think that you have to play Tatum tonight. And I think Brown is going to play. And I think that they're not all that happy when they lose a game. When you're trying to win 60 games, you don't like losing a game. When you're trying to be a number one seed and have an MVP player, any game you lose, you're unhappy. You don't have losing streaks. They lost to the Heat by three their last game on Tuesday night. I think they come out and crush the Knicks tonight. Celtics minus eight over the Knicks. That's the nothing personal pick of the day. All right. Can we talk about Aaron Rodgers for a minute, please? How many off seasons does he occupy our thoughts? At pretty much every year we've done nothing personal. Every off season, there's been Aaron Rodgers talk. There's been intrigue. It's sort of like Tom Brady. Is he going? Where's he going? How's it going? Will he retire? Will he not retire? It gets a little boring to me, but Aaron Rodgers gives us little breadcrumbs, little hints when he goes on the Pat McAfee show once a week. And he does this purposefully. It comes off as though he's unprepared or that he's just talking off the top of his head or that he has no agenda. Aaron Rodgers is way, way ahead of you. He's playing chess to the listeners who are playing checkers. And when he goes on that show, you've got front offices who are monitoring that. His agents are monitoring that. Believe me, the front office of the Packers, they're listening to his appearances. Front offices of other teams who are looking for quarterbacks are listening to his appearances, trying to figure out what he's doing. Because when they contact him, which they all do, he does what you're supposed to do, which is give them no inclination what his plan is. When he signed this three-year, $150 million deal last year with the Packers, the way it was structured was going to make it very difficult for the Packers and Rodgers to do anything together without complete agreement. Because him just playing out the rest of his contract under the terms with what the dead cap is, with what the actual cap is, with the way he's getting paid, what percentage of the cap it would be when they still have Jordan Love, who is no longer cheap as he approaches here the end of his early contract. 
Coke, I can't remember, and I had it in my head what year Jordan Love is. I think we may have talked about it. I think he's entering his fourth year already after he's been drafted, has barely played at all, obviously, because Aaron Rodgers has been there. So Aaron Rodgers gets on the air, and he says, I'm willing to restructure my deal because I understand the way my current deal is structured. That is not good for any team I'm on. I love that. Do you think it's strange that the NFL put together a salary cap system that requires now hundreds of people to work trying to get around the cap, figure out how to avoid the cap, figure out how to get players onto your team without violating the cap? It's sort of like tax attorneys who are who are hired and trust and estate attorneys. They're just hired to find loopholes in the IRS code. They're trying to figure out how to get you not to pay taxes. There's a whole civilization of people, a whole ecosystem. Their whole job is to figure out how best to break the rules without breaking the rules, which just causes the rule makers to change the rules by closing the loopholes, which just causes people to figure out how to find the different loopholes, different ways to get around it. It's like the steroid testing people and the steroid masking people. The people who go to our players and say, hey, you can do the PEDs, no problem, because we've got a way to mask it and you're going to be great. We know exactly when they're in your system, when you can take a piss, when you can't, when you should take them. Here's where you put the shot in. We got it covered. Then someone gets dinged for 80 games. They're like, all right, we got to change that. All right, we're going to go left cheek, not right cheek now. And we're going to do it on a Wednesday, not a Tuesday. Good. They're always ahead until they get caught. So Aaron Rodgers understands that the contract he signed and he knew it the day he signed it would have to be restructured. And now he says, as though he's been a big man about it, I'm happy to restructure my contract. Well, that's because if he just retires, guess what? He doesn't get paid. You think he's giving up $50 million? It's not happening. He's either going to work his way to a different team, demand a trade, get a trade, do a restructure for the team which is acquiring him, which he will have negotiated before the trade is even figured out, or he's going to figure out a way to restructure with the Green Bay Packers by extending it, putting more years, adding more years. There are people working on it from the business side, and Aaron Rodgers is in charge. This is the problem, and this is a pro-management statement, what I'm about to make, but this is serious. When you have a collective bargain agreement where you've got the players who have that big an advantage over a subject that was meant to actually benefit owners and not players, there are things in the CBA that benefit players. There are things that benefit owners. The key is when something benefits an owner, you better take that benefit, monetize that benefit. When something benefits the players, they are going to do everything to monetize their benefit. That is the nature of a collective bargain agreement. You get into trouble when there's something that was meant to be an owner benefit that gets monetized by the players or something that was supposed to be a player benefit that gets monetized by the owners. Those examples happen in baseball with arbitration. They happen in football with the way these contracts are structured. Something's got to give because that sort of crossover is when fighting begins. It's when you get labor strife. Believe me, changes are coming. Aaron Rodgers can keep holding us hostage this offseason, no doubt about it. He can keep trying to tell us what he's going to do, what he's not going to do, who's going to do what, where, when. We can keep photoshopping him in a Jets uniform or Tom Brady in a Jets uniform or a Dolphins uniform. We can imagine any player going wherever they want to go. But at the end of the day, it's all because of salary cap and dead cap, amount of cap, 
roster bonuses, workout bonuses, appearance bonuses. Do you have a heartbeat bonus? Got to make some changes in the next CBA if you're the NFL. Why? It's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.